You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right. It's good to be together. Got my guys right here in the front can just, this is good. Get some good feedback. Uh, let me lower this a little bit. Excited to be together. My name is Justin Shump. And I serve here in the campus ministry, specifically at UCLA and SMC, uh, and also in our youth and family ministry. Uh, We had an awesome time on Friday. We had a Thanksgiving potluck, uh, and so we we feasted. There was tons of mac and cheese. Uh, We had some uh, turkey curry. That was my first time having turkey curry for Thanksgiving. And it was better than normal Thanksgiving turkey. So you got to try some turkey curry. Go for it. I'm not a big turkey fan. Um, I know the campus had their Friendsgiving on, on Friday and the singles, and it's just such a fun time. I love this time of year to uh, celebrate and have different parties and eat good food uh, and really just kind of enjoy time with friends and family. Um, so I'll go ahead and uh, we'll just kind of jump right into it. So as Steve said, we're doing this sermon series on uh, complete joy. And so I'm just going to be honest. I'm probably not the best person to preach on joy. I just, I'm usually naturally more negative. That's kind of, I, I err more towards that. I'm kind of a more kind of rational, more pessimistic side. That's just naturally kind of who I am. Um, if you were to ask people to, to use a list of words to describe me, I don't think joy would be on that list. And I'm kind of scared to know some of the words that would be on your guys' list, but you can keep that to yourself. But I'm not just kind of just, I'm not the guy who's walking around in a joyous whimsy. It's just not, it's not always me. So I don't have a whole lot to say today, honestly. I don't have a whole lot to preach. I'll be completely honest. Because sometimes joy, to me, it can kind of feel a little bit fake. I'm just being honest. I can feel like, okay, if I have to respond with joy, if something's not going well, and I have to respond, then that's me not being genuine. That being genuine, being rational, which is saying, yeah, there's a problem, this is the problem, and we just got to deal with it. I can view life as kind of a series of events where you're going to be faced with problems and you just need to solve them. It doesn't really matter your attitude or, or your response, just fix it. And so with that, I can remove the opportunity for joy. And so I, I, I can't in good conscience pretend like I have really led by example in this area. That's why I I don't have a whole lot to share. But luckily, the Bible has some really cool stuff to share. And so we're just going to jump right into Scripture. Because you guys are probably like, wow, that was a really negative intro, and I'm sorry. So we're just going to get into Scripture to, to hopefully save this. You can go to the next slide. There you go. All right, two different Proverbs. So we're, we're studying out joy, and we're using the Proverbs to combine joy and wisdom. So this is Proverbs 15. It says, Light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart. And good news gives health to the bones. Proverbs 17. A joyful heart is good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I'm going to read it again. 
Light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. You know, I love the Proverbs. The Proverbs is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Because I'm not a huge reader. I love reading, like, news and kind of short passages. I'm not a big book reader. My wife loves novels and loves reading books. So I love the Proverbs because there's just kind of short, just kind of to the point, very rational, very applicable sentences. And I love it. I get super excited reading the Proverbs. And so I found these two Proverbs, and I thought they were super cool. Because although they're kind of in different chapters, they really connect. The first one talks about how light in a messenger's eyes, how good news brings joy to your heart. And it gives physical health to your bones. And then Proverbs 17 is kind of the part two of that. Because it says, if you have this joyful heart, that is good medicine for you. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So there's this connection between joy and, and good news and our health and our bones. It's really interesting. You know, we all have different, uh, if you've been in the church or been in kind of a church community like this, there's usually a lot of different times where you have an opportunity to share good news. Again, I'm, I don't usually thrive in those times. Those are not the times that I, that I naturally thrive in. Because I can think, man, if it's not like spectacular news, if it's not amazing news, then why even share it? People are going to be like, oh, you're just sharing it just to share it. And so, again, I can naturally be very negative. But I'm always so encouraged by those people who just always have good news, just no matter what. And I went to San Diego State. I was in the college ministry down there. We had a weekly midweek service every Wednesday. And there'd be a portion where people would share good news. And without fail, there was this one guy, for the four years I was there, he shared every single Wednesday. It was just expected that he was going to share. And every Wednesday, I'd go, how does this guy keep coming up with good news? Like, this is incredible. And sometimes it was really small things, and sometimes it was kind of bigger things. But I just felt guilty. I'm like, man, I don't... I don't just walk around like that. And I wish that I did. You know, those those people who, who just love life and they milk it for everything it is. And then there's the rest of us. And I am one of those rest of us. But I believe the Bible when it says that good news creates in you a joyful heart. And that joyful heart, the heart that comes from light in a messenger's eyes, the heart that comes from joy and good news, is healthy. It's good medicine. You know, the definition of medicine is the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of disease. So it's kind of a broad term, right? It's kind of overarching medicine. Obviously, you take medicine if you're taking some type of medication. But it says that joy is good medicine. Now, not all medicine is good. There's treatments out there that are not very good. But the Bible says 
that good news, a joyful heart, is good medicine. You know, they had some terrible medicine in the ancient world. I don't know if you think back to like 7th or 8th grade when you kind of learned about the ancient world, learned about some of the medicine. It always stuck with me because some of the stuff they did was just absolutely insane. At the time when these Proverbs were written thousands of years ago, the medicine was terrible. And so I did some research on kind of what were some of the medical practices back then to kind of compare them to what we have now. And so I'm going to share with you some of the stuff that I found, and some of the stuff's kind of crazy. I didn't include any pictures, so I wanted to, but maybe next time. Okay, I'm going to share a few. These are, these are common medical practices. This is what the ancient world considered medicine. So when an ancient person is reading this, this is what they're thinking about. Okay, one crazy thing they did was called phlebotomy, otherwise known as bloodletting. So what they believed is that your body was made up of these different liquids, these different kind of chemicals, and that when you were healthy, those chemicals, those liquids were in complete balance. That you have phlegm and you have bile and you have blood. And so they thought, okay, well, if you're not healthy, if you're sick, you probably just have too much blood, so we should just have you have less blood. That was their rational thinking. I'll read a quote. It says, while it could have easily resulted in accidental death from blood loss, phlebotomy endured as a common medical practice well into the 19th century. Medieval doctors prescribed blood draining as a treatment for everything from a sore throat to the plague. And some barbers even listed it as a service along with haircuts and shaves. So you say you're that. You're sitting there, you're getting a medieval haircut, and you're like, you know, trim the sides, take a few inches, and just take a few ounces while you're at it. I got a sore throat. So they would also use leeches for phlebotomy, right? Like, this is like an actual thing. So imagine you're you're coming home from school, and you got a sore throat, and you got a headache, and your mom's like, sorry, buddy, sorry you're not feeling well. I'll make you a grilled cheese, and then you can take a warm leech bath after, and hopefully that that will heal you up. I mean, this is insane. But this is what they had access to. They didn't have modern medicine. They had experimental practices, and they had to make do with this medicine at the time. There's another procedure called trepanation. He knows what that is. (laughs) A procedure still used today that is performed by drilling a hole into the skull to relieve intracranial pressure. That's intense. Read a quote. It says, A common theory holds that it may have been some form of tribal ritual or even a method for releasing evil spirits believed to possess the sick and mentally ill. Still others argue that it was a more conventional surgery used to treat epilepsy, headaches, abscesses, and blood clots. I mean, that is insane. You've got a really bad headache or or you're suffering from some type of mental illness. And the only prescription is to drill into your head. That is terrible medicine. I cannot imagine being a parent back then. Like, I know there's a lot of stress and stuff in the media and parents, vax, not, whatever. There's all, imagine being a parent back then, where your only option is, kid's probably going to die or we can do this experimental surgery. It's terrible. 
Little Johnny's been hearing voices, so we're going to drill a hole in his head. Like, that is insane that that's what they had to deal with. And we can laugh about it, but it's real. Like, that is crazy. This one's probably, this one's probably the craziest. Since the ancient Egyptians had a remarkably well-organized medical system, complete with doctors who specialize in healing specific ailments. Nevertheless, the cures they prescribed weren't always up to snuff. Lizard blood, mud, and moldy bread were all used as topical ointments. Most disgusting of all, Egyptian physicians used human and animal excrement as a cure-all remedy for diseases and injuries. According to 1500 B.C.'s Ebers Papyrus, donkey, dog, gazelle, and fly dung were all celebrated for their healing properties and their ability to ward off bad spirits. Again, this is just this is just crazy stuff. I mean, next time you're walking down the street and you're walking in your neighborhood, I want you to look at dog poop and be really grateful that that is not what's being prescribed to you as an ointment. Because that is legit what doctors prescribe to ancient people. It's insane. Now, you take that, everything I just shared, and some of it's funny and some of it's crazy, but you compare it to modern medicine, to what we're capable of now. And it is insane. And my wife works as a nurse. She works at Cedars-Sinai. And some of the stuff she tells me they're able to do is just crazy. I didn't realize how often that people die and they bring them back to life. Like, it's just normal. Like, she was, she was working with COVID patients for almost a year. She'd come home and, yeah, three people died, but we did compressions and gave them some medication and brought them back to life. And I'm like, what? Like, are you serious? Yeah, you just shoot them up with some epinephrine and get their heart going again. Perform an emergency tracheotomy, put it, and yeah, they're good. They're back to life. I mean, it is absolutely insane what we can do. We totally take it for granted. And my sister had a baby about two months ago. You can go to the next slide. I got to show you a picture of a baby after everything I just said, right? So you can look at that and be encouraged. That's little Tommy. He's in his little sheep outfit. Looks super cute. This will make up for all the crazy stuff I said, hopefully. But my sister had to have an emergency C-section. Tommy had his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck, and he wasn't able to come out. But luckily, they, they performed the C-section. My sister's totally fine. The baby's totally healthy. But I was talking to Emma, and I said, what would have happened if this was 300 years ago? And she said, well, the baby and your sister would most likely have died. It's very common for women to die in childbirth. And so it's crazy to think we're, we're flying out on Wednesday to go meet Tommy. We haven't met him yet. We're going to Rhode Island. But without modern medicine, we'd be flying out for a funeral. But we're flying out to see this amazing, beautiful little boy and my sister who's fully recovered. And so when we look at this proverb, you go to the next slide. Is this really relevant? We have to ask ourselves that question. Was this only relevant back then because the medicine they had was so bad? Is that why this proverb 
was written. Because your options for medicine were terrible, and so might as well just be joyful. Even though things are bad, might as well just have a good attitude. Is that what this proverb is saying? Or is joy actually a good medicine? A good medicine, not just a good alternative. That's the question we have to answer to see if this scripture is really true. So let's try and answer that question. It says, Light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. What's so important about bones? Why does it mention bones? You know, your bones are very important. They make up your skeleton. They support your body. They also do something really cool, which I wasn't even totally like aware of everything they do, but Emma works on a bone marrow transplant hematology floor. So she works every day with people with leukemia and different bone cancers and tons of crazy stuff. Bone is where your blood is made, if you didn't know that. Bone is where your platelets are made, your white blood cells, your red blood cells. And blood is really important, if you didn't know. In almost every single culture, blood is associated with life. The Jehovah Witnesses, they don't take blood from other people. Because they believe that life is in your blood. It's crazy. Cedars, where Emma works, uh, they're one of the few hospitals that does non-blood bone marrow transplants for Jehovah Witnesses. It's crazy stuff. But pretty much every culture associates life and death with blood. And blood is made in your bones. Your white blood cells, your immune protection, your ability to fight off disease. The reason you all are alive right now is because of your bones. Your red blood cells, they transport oxygen throughout your body. The, realize, the, the, the ability to breathe although muffled because we're all wearing masks, is because of your bones. The reason you get a cut and you don't bleed out and you scab because of your platelets is because of your bones. Isn't it interesting that this Proverbs writer knew how vital the bones were to you, to your health? It all starts in the bones. If you have healthy bones, you'll have healthy blood. And here's what's interesting. Some of the most common and deadly diseases we fight as humans involve blood. High blood pressure. High blood sugar leading to diabetes. Heart disease. Leukemia. All things that involve blood. Our health, your health, is very closely associated with your blood, with your bones. So what does this all mean? Because although we live in a time of modern medicine, although we're not performing these crazy surgeries that they were doing thousands of years ago, 
we still have sickness. Hundreds and thousands of people are still dying every year from heart disease. Let's go to the next slide. It's from a New York Times article talking about the power of positivity. It says, there is no longer any doubt that what happens in your brain influences what happens in the body. When facing a health crisis, actively cultivating positive emotions can boost the immune system and counter depression. Studies have shown an indisputable link between having a positive attitude and health benefits like lower blood pressure, less heart disease, better weight control, and healthier blood sugar levels. The things that kill us the most are associated with a positive outlook. How incredible is that? So according to this, the proverb is true. It's true. That joy, that a positive outlook actually does bring health to your bones, to your blood. This is crazy. This isn't just a good alternative. It's a good medicine. Joy is an incredible medicine. And we've seen the power of this in some of the members in our West Side family. I think of guys like Doug Bundy, who's wrestled for years with severe health challenges, but you've never seen that guy sad. Every time you see him connect with him, he's happy. He's encouraged. He's got good news to share. He's not even allowed to leave his home, and he has good news to share. That calls me higher. Doug, I know you're watching at home. We love you so much as a church community. You're, you're a hero to all of us. You know, I think of a... Uh, yeah, we can clap for Doug. I think of our brother James Russell. You know, James shared his story a few months ago. He shared it for the church. It's still on YouTube. You can go watch it. And and it was incredible. And James shared how many years ago he was diagnosed with HIV. But James is one one of the most encouraging, positive. And if you don't know James, he's the guy who hugged you on the way in. And he probably hugged you way longer than you were expecting. And at first you were confused and you're like, this is actually awesome. That's James. Carrying a disease that has killed so many people, yet he has not let him get the best of him. He has kept an amazing, joyful, positive attitude. And I can't help but believe that that has contributed to his health and success. And I fall so short of modeling that same spirit. But I'm so encouraged that we have such great examples of people truly living this out. You know, it's easy to feel like, as disciples, we read the scriptures and we see Jesus healing all these people. And we can feel like, man, we don't really get to participate in the physical healing ministry of Jesus. 
why I have so much respect for nurses and doctors and people in the medical world, because they're doing that every day. You're participating in the physical healing ministry of Jesus. And that's really cool. But I can often feel like, well, I don't really get to do that. Or maybe we do. Because if the leading cause of death in this country is heart disease, a disease in which studies have proven that a joyful outlook on life reduces the risk of death, and we know according to Scripture that when we bring good news to someone, it creates in them a healthy heart, then aren't you participating in that? When you give joy, when you give encouragement, when you give good news, aren't you participating in making someone physically healthier? Now, between May 2020 and April 2021, more than 100,000 people died from drug overdose. The highest number ever recorded in a one-year span. But imagine the impact that joy can have on a person suffering from addiction. The joy that you can bring into somebody's life. When we spread joy, when we spread encouragement, when we spread good news, we are participating in the physical healing ministry of Jesus. According to this proverb. And so as a church, we're kind of wanting to launch this campaign of joy. We want to be a church known for our acts of service, for our joy. We want to encourage everyone to be mindful of this. You know, Steve's been encouraging us in our, in our staff meetings to kind of look for random acts of kindness. Look, look for ways where you can go out and serve people. As we kind of had, we were trying to figure out what does it actually mean to have a random act of kindness, right? Like, if you plan it, is, is it random? Or do you have to kind of like respond to something that's presented? And we were trying to find the official definition. And we still don't really know. We'll, when we figure it out, we'll let you guys know. But we want to be mindful of the things and the people around us. I know for myself, I can often feel like when I like try and like think, okay, I want to respond to a random act of kindness. I hope one finds me. I usually don't end up finding them. But when I'm not like, like so focused on it, they'll present themselves and then it gives me an opportunity. I think it, it helps me because then it's not my pride. You know, I have a funny story. I, I was, I took a trip after my freshman year of college uh, to Europe with some of my friends. And we were poor college students. We bought a bunch of granola bars that we were pretty much eating for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and uh, we, were, we were leaving Paris, and we had these extra granola bars. So I was like, all right, I'm going to find someone who appears to be homeless, and I'm going to give them some extra granola bars so I can do my random act of kindness, right? And so we're in this train station, and there's usually tons of people kind of sleeping uh, in the different alleyways. And, and so I'm looking around. I couldn't find anyone. I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like, okay, come on. I'm just trying to do the right thing. So finally, I, I, I found someone who appeared uh, to be living in the subway station. And I said, I've got some granola bars for you. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't have any teeth. I can't eat your granola bars. And I'm like, so I can feel like that sometimes, right? Like, I try and go out of my way, and I'm trying to find these, like, situations to, like, perform random acts of kindness, and it just doesn't happen. But there are many times when I am presented, but I don't always respond. 
Because sometimes when I'm mindful of it, it can come from a sense of pride and trying to make myself feel better. And so what I want to encourage you with is just respond when those situations are given. Respond with a random act of kindness. But also be deliberate. I think we've got to do both. And so what, what I want to encourage you with and want to take a moment to do to kind of spur this, this, this joy campaign we're starting is if everyone can take out their phones or if you've got a notepad, whatever works. And we want you to write down a name of someone or a few people. Someone who you can encourage this week. And I know Thanksgiving, people send a lot of texts. I want you to do it before Thanksgiving. Do it before Thanksgiving. Don't let that person use the excuse of, oh, they're just texting me because it's a holiday. Really take time and encourage someone. So I'll give you like a few seconds so you can think about it. Think about someone. Who can you encourage? Who needs joy? Who needs some love? Because you could be radically helping that person, not only on a spiritual level, not only on an emotional level, but according to this proverb, we can actually help people on a physical level. Joy is powerful. The scriptures are true. I love you guys. hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. And we'll see you back next week. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.